This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 16th of July 2021. What a week, Tegan. Yeah, it's, it is a tough time to be living in a global pandemic in Australia, especially if you're living in Sydney or Melbourne, our two most populous cities in lockdown again. Norman, it's tough. It's tough and our thoughts are really particularly with Victorians now with uh, and yet, yet another lockdown and uh, coming from New South Wales, absolutely no fault of Victorians. It's just slipped through and with an incredibly contagious virus. It's just really unfortunate. It is. It's a, it's a sucky time. I don't think there's anyone who doubts that. Can we just remind ourselves, Norman, from someone who's living through um, a tough lockdown in Sydney at the moment, can you just remind us why lockdowns are a good tool? They're, as you've said before, Tegan, on Coronacast, they're a blunt tool, but they are the main tool. And they're really there for when you don't know where everybody's been and you don't know how much virus is out there in the community. So in the beginning, and we've seen that in various states, that in the beginning when you've just got a small number of cases, you know where they've all been. Queensland's a good example at the moment. It's just There's a bit of virus out there in, in Queensland, but they, they kind of know where it, where it is at the moment. And there are no wild cards. But when you've got cases appearing who've been out in the community maybe for a couple of days infectious before you've been able to find out they're there, and they've had multiple contacts, maybe 10 contacts a day, maybe even more than that, then that gets a bit scary. And you can control that at the beginning with contact tracing and really get on top of it and find it all. But if you keep on chasing your tail, there's still more virus out there, particularly if one person is spreading to maybe six others. And that's where you've really just got to separate people so that if you've picked up a virus randomly in the community by accident, particularly with this new variant, which really is very infectious, then you're not going to see very many people. You'll see your own household. If you're not going to the shops very often, you won't meet people at the shops. And essentially, you're staying at home and not passing on the virus. And that's what you're doing, is just, you don't know where the virus is, so you, you lock down the whole community to stop the virus circulating. It's as blunt as that. And you really need a lot of people doing that almost all of the time to really have the effect, especially when the virus is so transmissible. Yes, because you don't know where the virus is. You can kind of know. So in Sydney, they're saying Fairfield in the southwestern suburbs, but elsewhere as well. And in Melbourne, you're seeing lots of exposure sites, including, rather worryingly, the MCG. So you just never quite sure where it is. Therefore, you've got to actually just clamp this down. And you've got to clamp it down probably for about, in very early stage, probably for about one incubation period, which is like five or seven days. So it's not at all clear just how long it will go in Victoria. They could go down to zero very, very quickly. You've got a couple of zero days and they say, whoops, okay, we'll go back to where we were. Uh, And hopefully that's what will happen. You've got to go that distance so that you're you're sort of burning it out and the new cases that are popping up you discover and control. We're looking at Melbourne's third lockdown just for this year. It's fifth lockdown overall. Sydney is in an extended lockdown. We can't just be locking down forever. What about, I mean, the rest of the world, 
Can we just talk about what the alternative is to lockdowns just for a sec? Uh, well, if you put aside contact testing, contact tracing, um, isolation and quarantine as a core measure, which is in many countries, the other option is to let it rip and just open it up. So what will happen if, if you let it rip in an unvaccinated population and in a population which hasn't been exposed to the virus by and large, even in Victoria with the second wave, still a tiny, tiny proportion of the population have got antibodies. So you're letting it rip in an un, largely unimmunized, largely vulnerable population who haven't been exposed to the virus. What will happen then is that you will get exponential growth at high speed. So exponential growth can be slow or fast, and it will be fast exponential growth. And if you look at the data from New South Wales, that will mean that about 9 or 10% of people will end up in hospital. On the basis of the New South Wales data, albeit on small numbers, which means it could be inaccurate, one in 40 people will be in intensive care and of all age groups, so not just uh, the elderly. And some will die, hopefully not very many, but some will die. And one in five to one in three of cases will get, uh, will get long COVID. So if you look at countries like Israel, around you know, a little bit more than the population of Victoria, they've had massive numbers of cases, massive numbers of people in, in hospital, and lots of deaths. Look at Britain, albeit a larger population, huge problems there with overwhelmed hospitals, large numbers of deaths, and, and people you know and love die. The stories from America are just heartrending. That's where we'll be. Uh, we've got enough intensive care beds, almost certainly, for a, an outbreak, but we probably don't have the staff for surge capacity. So you've got, we've got surge capacity in, in Australia, but we probably don't have the staff to staff that, according to some modelling. These are the things that would happen, and it would not get you to herd immunity. That's not happened in any country where it's been allowed to rip. Nobody has got to herd immunity. So you get lots of deaths. I think last year we spoke about, I think last July, we spoke about 40,000, from memory, 40,000 deaths in the UK with 5 or 10% antibody levels in the community. And that's, so it costs 40,000 deaths to get to that level of immunity. Doesn't, it doesn't add up. The price is way too high. So what I'm hearing you say, Norman, is that lockdowns are what we've got at least until we've got very, very good vaccination coverage. Yeah. In the first instance, we've got testing, contact tracing, isolation and quarantine. And that can probably hold us hold us for a little while. But as we're seeing with this virus, it may not hold you for very long. We've been lucky with Delta so far, very lucky in New South Wales. This could have happened in May. When, I think it was May when the man who was shopping for barbecue shops got infected with the Delta and we still don't know what the intermediary was. That intermediary could be just like the intermediaries here now in New South Wales and Victoria where you've just got big spread. But before we just really get too depressed about this, I mean there is modelling from the University of Sydney you know, just released yesterday which suggests that if we have 80% compliance with the sort of social distancing we were doing last year in the first wave, which really is about defining essential work defining what retail is allowed to open and really limiting your circulation. That's the kind of thing we were talking about. And 80% of us complied with that. We could be out of this in a month or so, is what they're saying. And if 70% of us complied with that, so it's pretty sensitive, then it's two months, which, which sort of ties in with the other modelling that's, that's gone on here. And if you look at the New South Wales data, what's the total number of cases peaked on July 12th? 
Um, now, I don't know what today's cases are going to be, obviously. So that's good. If they keep on coming down, that's good news. What's not peaked yet are the number of cases, number of people who've been in the community for their entire infectious period. That number has got to come down. That's the, that's the curve that we've got to really bend down to zero. And that's the number we've got to keep our eye on. But superficially, the figures look good. We may have peaked in New South Wales, but the people who talk about modelling don't think we have yet. And I've got some quick fire Friday questions for you, Norma. Before we get to that, I thought we could do a segment called Warm Fuzzy Friday because we've had some really lovely messages from our beautiful listeners the last couple of days. Andrew writes in saying, not a question, but a big thank you. I got my first shot today and I went in feeling well-informed and fairly relaxed. The person giving the vaccine was also a podcast listener and it was good to connect about the show. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. And another question, and another not a question, but a thank you from Helen. Coronacast is part of her morning coffee routine. She's 63. She lives in Sydney. She had her first AstraZeneca dose from her GP in late May. She's brought forward her second dose appointment to Friday. She says, thank you for the clear advice and info every day. Sometimes it's worrying news, but it's good to be informed with the facts. Yeah, thanks for that. We try not to give advice, but we just try to give you information so that you can make up your own mind about this. And look, while we're talking about vaccines, I just want to say something because you know, every so often it's in the news that somebody else has had one of these clotting episodes. And I just want to be clear to people, because there's a lot of people listening to CoronaCast who've had Astra, uh, over 60 or under 60, more people under 60 are getting it. I just want to be clear so people understand what the symptoms are so there's no confusion. This is a clotting, if, if you get the rare clotting syndrome with AstraZeneca, here's what to look out for. Yeah, and it's, it's symptoms after day four, usually around about day seven, but sometimes up to about three weeks or even 30 days afterwards. And what you've got to watch out for is a headache. So a headache can come on and it may not be that severe. It may not have blurred vision. You may not have disrupted speech. That's when it's gone quite far. But if you get a new headache around four, seven, anything up to 30 days with a gap, so you've got a gap of four days, then the headache comes on, go and see your GP. Do not take no for an answer and go and see your GP. If there's a long wait in emergency departments, your GP can do blood tests, which are screening blood tests to see what your blood tests are showing, which shows whether or not you're likely to have this TTS. And if, you, if you're, those become positive, then they can refer you in for treatment. And the treatment is best given early. And most of the cases that seem to be turning up with severe disease have sat there with a headache for a few days. I'm not saying that it's necessarily the fault of the person or the fault of the GP, but it's not necessarily been that severe. So go and do not sit on this. On the first sign of it, you got it for a day, you know, a day, a few hours, it's not going away. You don't have to have blurred vision. I'm, I know I'm going overboard about this, but go and see your doctor. Don't take no for an answer and be assertive. The other symptoms are abdominal pain. Again, abdominal pain coming on during that time frame. Doesn't have to be severe. Get it sorted out. The worst thing that you could be do that can happen to you is that it ends up being nothing. It's just tummy pain. And the other thing is pain in your calf, shortness of breath, that sort of thing. Any of these symptoms, don't take no for an answer. Be assertive because early treatment works. Are you worried about scaring people a bit here, Norman? Well, you've got this dilemma here to hide under the bush and say oh there's no problem here some people will get TTS it's very rare so compared to a 1 in 40 chance of being in ICU when you get COVID there's a 1 in 50,000 chance or a bit less than that a bit more than that 1 in 30,000 if you're younger with uh, of, of the clotting syndrome 
So it is going to happen to some people when you've got hundreds of thousands of people there and you've just got to know the symptoms. And the, what the huge evidence from the Australian experience is get in early so that they can treat you with the intravenous immunoglobulin. So get the screening test, get sorted out and uh, you'll find out that it's nothing and then go home and relax. And if it's something, get treated for it. Um, and I just think it's as a public health measure, it's important that people know that. Yeah, forewarned is forearmed. Well, Norman, let's let's rip through some more questions from our audience in Quick Fire Friday. Paul wants to know, can you swap arms for your second vaccination? Is there any data on whether this changes your immune response? No, I don't think there is any evidence one way or the other. I think um, I think I both I had both of mine in my left arm because I use my right arm and if I get a sore arm, it's not, re- not, not usable. It's all part of the same immune system, blood system. I don't think it makes any difference. Bryant wants to know how much time elapses between a person becoming infected where the virus enters their lungs and then becoming infectious. That's a good question. And we actually don't fully understand that for the Delta variant. And some people are suggesting the Delta variant might actually, you might actually become infectious sooner with the Delta variant than with others. But that's often said about new variants and then it settles down and you've got the larger information. Three, four days maybe after that. But you can't, if you've been a primary contact, and you are in isolation, it can take a few days to, be, to show up positive on the test, but that doesn't necessarily mean you haven't been infectious before that. Christine wants to know about Novavax. We keep hearing from the Australian government website that 51 million doses will be made available this year. When are the trial results expected to be available? Well, the trial results were, in fact, published. And they're good? They're very good. It's a very high-performing vaccine. Just the question is how high-performing it is against the variant and the Word on the street is that it's pretty good. It does have diminished performance, as do the other viruses, but it's it's a good vaccine. And it'll probably be a very good vaccine for booster shots. And one more from Danny. Can a person who is fully vaccinated still transmit the virus? The assumption is yes, but it's a really good question. A lot of people want to know the answer to is, um, so maybe 30% of people who've had Pfizer can be infected. Maybe it's 40, 50% who've had Astra. There is some evidence that you get a lower viral load when you're infected, which would mean that you are less infectious, but not non-infectious. So the assumption would have to be is if you're infected, you are infectious as well. You can spread it to others, but it may well be that you're less so. Right. So less likely to catch it and then probably less likely to pass it on. So not impossible, but still a lot less possible. That's right. You're probably anywhere between 50 and 70 percent protected against all infection, which means you can't transmit it. Um, And then the 30 percent to 50 percent who do get infected maybe a little bit less infectious than other people. We don't know that yet. Well, Norman, those are all the questions that I've got for you for Quick Fire Friday, and that's it for Coronacast this week. Wherever you are in Australia and whatever level of restrictions you are living under, we are thinking of you. If you have a question or a comment, leave it for us at abc.net.au slash coronacast. And have as good a weekend as you possibly can, and we'll see you Monday. See you then. <laughs> 